In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. First off, a word of introduction. My name is Father Noah Mori, and I'm visiting today from All Saints Parish over in Manassas. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Arlington. And what an honor it is to offer this Mass today with the calendar having just passed the 10th anniversary of Sumorum Pontificum. As Pope Benedict XVI wrote, it behooves all of us to preserve the riches which, which have developed in the Church's faith and prayer and to give them their proper place. So the liturgy is the most important thing that we participate in because the liturgy is not a human work, it's the work of God. One of my older brothers is a Benedictine priest at Clear Creek Monastery in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they're in the process of building a new monastery right now. But from the very beginning, their ideal for the, for the plans for building this new monastery they said, we want to build a monastery that will last a thousand years. We want to build something beautiful for God. And isn't that what we strive to do in the liturgy as well? To build something beautiful for God. Because the way that we pray is the way that we believe. We know this from experience. So whenever we come to Mass, no matter in what language or what form the Mass is being offered, we should come with the intention of uniting all of our prayers with the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And this theme of unity is central in both of our readings today. Unity among Christians was Christ's final wish in John chapter 17 before he entered into his passion. We could call it his last will and testament. He desires unity among Christians because we're all one family before God and we share one common baptism. And also because we're seeking one common goal, namely eternal life with God in heaven, where we'll be living with countless others. And somebody once told me that when we get to heaven, we might look around and say, well, what's, what's that guy doing here? How did he get in? But the joke, I think, will be on us, because I imagine many people will say the same thing about us. How did that guy get in here? How did he get in? But this is another reason for us to foster unity here on earth with all believers, with all of God's family. The gospel today comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' game plan for his committed followers. And if we consider ourselves in this category, then we should pay attention to what he says. His words are directed to us in Northern Virginia in the 21st century. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is portrayed as the new Moses, the new lawgiver. And especially on the Sermon on the Mount, he elevates our understanding of the law. Now, in a very basic understanding, a very basic level, law should make its citizens good. Law should make its citizens virtuous and thus enable us to live in harmony with other people. But we can't stop at the letter of the law because, as Jesus said in the gospel, our righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees who were very zealous, but they kept the letter of the law which, without understanding the purpose of the law. Now, without law, there is no religion, including the Christian faith. And we know that church law governs not only our worship, but also our way of life. But we have to be able to go beyond the letter of the law. And that's why Jesus seeks to impress upon our hearts in the gospel the internal following of the law. It's not written on tablets of stone, but it's written upon our hearts. And that's why he quotes from the Old Testament law and then backs it up several times on how it should be lived out. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, 
So the Ten Commandments are essential for our spiritual growth, but the law must be internalized so that it penetrates our hearts and so that it leads us to live according to God's ultimate intentions. Following the commandments should lead us into right relationship with a person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So faithfulness to God requires a higher standard than what is merely expressed in the law. For example, it's one thing to avoid murder, but I think some people, even good Christians, might say, well, I haven't killed anyone, so I must be doing well in my relationship with God. No, because that's simply the letter of the law. Jesus wants us to avoid the kind of anger and critical speech that seeks to wound another person and destroys relationships. Whoever is angry with his brother and dishonors him publicly will face severe punishment. How many of us are guilty of such attitudes and speech? Perhaps we're harboring a grudge over something that happened a long time ago. Or we tear others down by gossip. And then when it comes to reconciliation, it might be hardest to forgive and to ask forgiveness from those who are closest to us, our family and our friends. But we need to put away any grudges. What's keeping us back from experiencing the tender love and the mercy of God? He's so generous to bestow his mercy upon us, and he wants nothing more than to reconcile us to himself. But we know that the measure we give will be the measure that we receive. And so we can expect to be forgiven by God only to the extent that we're willing to forgive others. So whenever we encounter a difficult person, we can affirm with St. Jose Maria Escriva, who said, don't say that person bothers me, think that person sanctifies me, and all will be well. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will speak about adultery, oaths, and also retaliation. But let's focus today on the peace and the unity that Jesus wants us to cultivate. We can't present our hearts to God as an offering on the altar of sacrifice if our heart is turned away from our neighbor. The way to union with God in worship can't lead away from one's neighbor. One of the first questions in scripture that has echoed down through the ages is Cain's sarcastic question to God when he said, am I my brother's keeper? No, we're not our brother's keeper. We're our brother's brother. So we can't let anger and and discord persist. Harmony with others is so important to Jesus that he says in the gospel today, if you have anything against your brother, leave your gift at the altar. Go first and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. And the church has retained this desire for reconciliation and unity in her liturgy, which is why every Mass includes an appeal to God for forgiveness and reconciliation by means of the confidier and the Kyrie. And it shows why we also need to frequent the sacrament of penance by which we are reconciled to God. It's impossible to love God whom we don't see, if we don't love those around us whom we do see. So we'll grow in in our relationship with God only to the extent that we're willing to be charitable and forgiving to other people. In our epistle today, St. Peter said, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. Of course, the ability to forgive comes from God himself. And so we have to beg the Lord every day 
to give us this gift, this gift of forgiveness, not only to receive forgiveness, but also to grant forgiveness to others. At the same time, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision, which means that it's an act of the will. It means saying with Jesus from the cross of our suffering, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If we can forgive others, especially those who have harmed us grievously, then we open ourselves to receive the Lord's pardon and also to receive a blessing from Almighty God. So having been reconciled to God and others, our gift offered on this altar will be that much more pleasing to Almighty God and that much more fruitful for our spiritual well-being. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.